Sal, Tom, the boss says we're coming in a separate car. He says for you two to go on ahead. Hell, he can't do that. It screws up all my arrangements. Well, that's what he said. I can't go either, Sal. Don't mind if it's only business. I always liked him. He understands that. Excuse me, Sal. Tom, can you get me off the hook? For old time's sake. You can't do it, Sal. Protect your home the smart way without the expensive long-term contracts using SimpliSafe. Visit SimpliSafe.com slash ricochet. Go right now and you'll also get free shipping on your order and a free keychain remote worth $25. Visit SimpliSafe.com slash ricochet to get started and buy. Get a great sleep for a great price. $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com slash glop and using the coupon code glop and buy. The great courses, learn about anything that interests you, history, business, or even how to cook, play chess, or speak Spanish. Start your free trial today. Sign up now at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash glop. Yes, here we are. It's our second bi-monthly glop culture podcast. I'm John Podhoritz, sitting high atop the Garment Center in New York City in Colorado. (laughs) Sounds like a metaphor. I wish. In Colorado. Lounging by the luxurious pool of a secret resort, Jonah Goldberg. No secret, no secret. I'm at the Broadmoor. And by the way, we got to – maybe this can be a topic, but we got to settle once and for all because this has plagued magazines and newspapers since I was a college editor and long before. Is it bi-monthly? Is it semi-weekly? Is it fortnightly? We must decide on the correct adjective for the frequency of this podcast. I like fortnightly, but you know, it, it makes it sound as though we're putting out a literary magazine in a yeah. G. Woodhouse novel. Or National Review, which is fortnightly. Or National Review, which is, okay, so that mm-hmm. kind of vitiates my entire joke there. Thanks for stepping on it. You're, you're welcome. It like a bug. Welcome. Rob, we're just starting out. Rob Long there in Los Angeles somewhere. Yeah, it's uh, 90 degrees here. It's 100 degrees. It could be 100 degrees today in the valley where, unfortunately, I have to be. Um, the valley. Two hours. The valley. Uh, and I, uh, and I am – I was flying – Living in Encino. <laughs> no, we, listen. We, ASCAP has spies everywhere. You can't sing. Okay. We can't afford to pay that. You know, you know, I once had in a TV show a character, father and son. And uh, turned out the, the son had when the son was gone, he'd come back and he wanted to do the famous the famous um, Pittsburgh Bar Darts Tournament, father son darts tournament with his dad. But while he'd been gone, his dad had found another younger guy, one of his old friends, to to do it with him. They were like winning. They had the they had the they were the champions. And so the the father's letting the son down, saying, "Listen, I, I don't want to. I can't do this with you anymore. Um, I, I, I like to win too much." And the son says, "Well, what about the, this? And the, what are the go karts and everything else?" And the father says, yeah, yeah, we'll get together then, son. You know we'll have a good time then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was sure it's going to kill, you know, among a certain generation. And uh, the studio came back and said, oh, yeah, can you just change that line to something else? Whoa. That's why? Well, because it's from a song. I don't know if you guys knew that. Like, like they're so they, Yeah, that's the point. The joke, it's from a song. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's going to be $15,000. Uh, just, okay. just those lyrics. So you know what I said? I said, pay it. 
because it's going to get a laugh. That's what we do here. We're doing a comedy show. Pay it. Anyway, little show business to kick this thing off. I love that. That's fantastic. Hey, so, so uh, because I think it could become a, a worthwhile theme, or maybe not. I don't know. But you reminded me with this thing about darts and whatnot. Um, I'm out here in Colorado for a speech. We don't need to know more about that. But there was sort of a team-building fun exercise for some of the attendees here. Oh. And I did not know that uh, – I'm trying to think because it's like dropping a hockey, hockey puck. Once I tell you what we did, um, <laughs> I, 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 just don't, I just don't know where it's going to okay. go. I'm, All right, drop of, it. I'm, 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 I'm poised. I'm poised at the I'm top excited. of my mind. I'm ready to go. Okay, so we had a cornholing tournament. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this is you. I, you are such an you are such an I, eight year old boy. You can't even say it without I, giggling. I did not, not know that that was the name of that game. Was that not like dropping the? Pu- I am right now easing away from the microphone. <laughs> that is the that is the name of the game in places that. Um, what the hell is the cornholing game? It's a beanbag. It's a beanbag game. You toss a beanbag at a at a at a board in the in the distance, and the board's got three holes in it, and you want or one hole in it, and you want to get it into the uh, the far hole. And I guess what they do is this is well, this, see, this comes that's from not what I thought it was at all. <laughs> <laughs> see, the thing is, in a cornholing tournament, no one really comes out the winner. <laughs> well. And anyway, it was just – it's like impossible not – I mean it's like – it's so on the nose for yeah. improper jokes that you just – you know, it's like, hey, you know, when I was cornholing with Tom earlier, you know, it just it, – it, <laughs> I can't – the, the juvenilia of it is so powerful yeah. that I – you know, you know that's really sorry. funny because I, I, I gave a speech somewhere and, and everybody played the pederasty game. <laughs> Oh, well, that's different. Uh, is, that's which different. Is, which is really where you just count the number of steps that you take. Oh, toward the grammar you, school. I think you should. Yeah, right. I think you should. I think you should tell an adult you trust. Um, <laughs> stranger danger. All right. Uh, uh, I. Well, in 1994, this by the way, what, what, we're talking about everything but what happened last night. Um, uh, in 1994, I went to Vietnam. I was one of the first. Like when they lifted the travel restrictions to the north, I was in Vietnam. And I spent a lot of time there. I was traveling around. And um, the the currency, I think now everybody knows that the currency in Vietnam is called the dong. <laughs> and you think, uh, yeah, Jonah, yeah, thanks. You think that you're oh, okay. It's gonna be funny for like a day, and then you get over it. it. It's funny the whole time you're there. It's always funny. <laughs> it's funny. What do you say? God, I'm I'm uh, I gotta go in there. Can you hold my dong while I go inside? Can you? That's a lot of dong you're carrying. Just you slap know, your dong up there on the counter. You know, it's you, never, it's never not funny. It's never not a, funny. If you had a cornholing tournament in Vietnam, you'd have a lot of yeah. dongs riding on this cornhole. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I, God, Jonah, <laughs> if I, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I'm so. Uh, why don't, why don't, why don't, consu- I, God, why don't consumers, why don't conservatives ever win the MacArthur Genius Grant? You know I don't know. <laughs> I think it's time for Rob to do the whole thing about how Ricochet is the place for civilized discussion on the internet. Uh, yeah, I, I will do that now because you know why? Because you know now I'll do it now because yes, because we yes because you could probably listen to this and 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 not get it and it'd be fine. Um, and not 
if you are listening to this and you are a member of Ricochet, we thank you. We are honored and privileged to have you as a fellow member along with us. If you are listening and you are not a member of Ricochet, you may not know what Ricochet is. It's a fast-growing civil conversation site, community on the web, ricochet.com. That's what brings you these things. We need you to join. We need you to sign up. Uh, we are um, not quite halfway to our goal, uh, which is uh, a little bit precarious. So if you're listening to this and you are um, – I've always thought about becoming a member. Please do become a member. Go to ricochet.com slash uh, – well, just ricochet.com and join, and you get a free month. So there's no risk to you. I know you will love it, and you will be there with like-minded civil folks who enjoy um, you know, not blaming each other on the web. Anyway, go ahead. Also, I should, I should just say, because you guys have never asked me. You didn't know I was going to say this. No. You know, but I meet people all the time who tell me how much they love Glop. Um and how much you know they like Ricochet and that they're Ricochet lurkers and all this kind of stuff. And it just seems to me, you know, people don't appreciate how hard it is to do things like run commentary, run national review, um, and run places like Ricochet. And it, it, it really does make a difference if if people sort of engage, sign up, support. Um, it's the difference between, you know, going out of business and not. And and right now at a moment when there's a lot of turn turmoil on the right and the people who say that they really appreciate what we do um it would be great if some of you guys could uh you know sort of step up that's all i'm gonna say that's that's well, that's, well that's very very uh graciously said and thank you well said and uh what was not well said last night were about 60 minutes of donald trump's comments uh during the debate uh which, are, we, are we going there well, I thought you wanted to transition to last guess, night, yeah. so I'm yeah. now transitioning to last <laughs> no, night. I, I'm glad you are because I don't, I don't think it, I don't think that the trajectory we were on was going to end in a good place. <laughs> okay, so we're yeah, so we're, a lot we're of guys going, said that to me last night. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm uh, sorry. All right, I'm done. I'm done. I promise. I'll stop. Okay. Okay. I hope you're not done. Okay, I heard you that know, too. The, this is like very, this is very <laughs> this is a very happy thing for Rob because from what I read this is what happens every week in a writer's room. It's exactly what happens. It's exactly so, what happens. It's an unsafe space and uh, yeah. the trick the triggering is just constant. So um, did I ever tell you the I'll tell you the word the did I ever tell you the word about the old a bit about the old I love Lucy writer? Uh, no, but please do. Okay, no, uh, let's we'll, I'll do, we'll save it for the end. Uh, okay. All right, so last night, big debate, you know, enormous audience, uh, 90 minutes. Um, there seems to be a developing consensus that Trump had a good first 15 minutes and then slowly but surely and then by the end uh, absolutely went off the rails. Um, do you guys uh, accept that conventional wisdom? Do you have your own conventional wisdom? What? Um, in broad brushstrokes, I think that's right. I think if – uh, you know, we got to find out where on the clock um, he actually started to turn. It felt longer to me, but everyone was saying how it was, oh, it was like eleven minutes. No, it was fifteen minutes. He had a strong open. I thought he was do. I thought he was winning for basically the first half hour, and then it just all started to sort of come apart. And I think John's column this morning in the New York Post is basically right: is that it, this guy came in and thought he could wing it, and. Um, I think, you know, as, as a, a underachiever, maybe or maybe not former, I don't know, um, I recognize in Trump this thing, that, and I've always seen it, where he – you never want to give it your 100% effort, 
because that risks your own delusions about how good you are at stuff. You want to believe like, you know, I didn't even try and look how well I did or, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and that's that that was how I was in high school, you know, because I and I, I see it in his tone. I see it in how he talks about how he's not spending money, um, about how he does. You know, he wants yeah. all the credit for how great he is, but he never actually wants to actually say that he gave it his best effort or he tried. And that's, I think, what happened last night. Is he- I think that's hugely, I think that's hugely, hugely um, insightful because I, 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 I am that same person. And you kind of don't want to like if you, if you commit to it, then if you don't get it, then it means that you're bad. Right. It means that you didn't you, you, at the hundred percent effort, you can't win. Um, but I also think what's strange about last night was that even for the period where he seemed to be in command of himself and even in the conversation which he quickly lost i think that ultimately is where he lost the debate not so much in points or anything but in the fact that he lost command that he didn't really know what was going on and he was being pushed around um but i thought the early part what was strange to me about it was that he didn't hammer his really simple themes hard enough i mean this is a guy who really should be able to do this by now because he's been basically had the same 15 minutes of material for a year and a half. It should have been change better than the same. I'm, I will change things. Um, uh, I am safe. It should have been just, I'm, I'm, I'm a normal regular guy uh, and over and over and over again and hammer her as this out of touch. And when he, when he managed to kind of touch that, it was really smart, but he kept forgetting that he kept losing a thread of his own story, which I found so weird. Um, right. Well, you know, I think and unexpected, something- really unexpected. I think he did something new at the beginning of the debate, which is why I thought that, you know, he was winning it at its at the start, which is that he went at her directly, not for being crooked and not for being this and not for being that, but for being a person of the professional yeah. managerial political class who had had the who's have the reins of power for our lifetimes and look at the mess that we're in now and it's time they don't make good deals and it's time to turn to me because I'll make good deals. You know what? I even agree with her about this that and the other thing. It doesn't matter that I agree with her. She can't get it done and I can. That was kind of new and it was kind of um as well put as he could put it. Uh somebody who was even better prepared might have had this more ironed out. Um and then she started squeezing the subject, and that's where three months of only going on Fox and you know six months without debate and not being having to answer tough questions really got him in trouble because she said, you know, she basically raised the fact that her his father had started him off in life with a fourteen million dollar loan, and then basically she went into him on his tax returns and his vanity seized him, right? So she said, you may not have paid any federal income tax. And he said, yeah, well, you just would have squandered it. Thus admitting in front of 100 million people that he doesn't pay federal income taxes. He had like two admissions like that. Yeah. I mean, it was, there was that. And then, and then there was the astounding moment again, that, that a, that not only a, like a high school debater would know not to do, which was she said, you gloated, you said in 2006 you were looking forward to the housing meltdown. 
because there were going to be business opportunities. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then he said, well, that's just good business. And she said, nine million people lost their jobs and five million people lost their homes. And you were rooting for that. This is exactly what people were terrified on the right was going to happen to Mitt Romney in 2012. Yeah, right. That this, that, you know, everything was going to be hung around his neck as a rich guy. Well, he got out of that for the most part, certainly in the debates he got out of it. And Trump stood there and did it to himself. And this is why I think... But it was all the same thing. He would have said about anything. It isn't just – it wasn't a principled argument about the free market. It was I'm smart. I'm good. I'm bigger. I'm bigly. I'm I'm smarter. Almost any any topic that that she brought up, he reflexively, I think because at the end he was falling apart, he – Kept it. He needed this weird reinforcement. I mean, I, I think what we saw was a ninety-minute, uh, you know, therapy session. It, it really is transference. What psychiatrists call transference—that's happening with the voting public and and uh, Donald Trump and his brain. It's like he's—we're seeing the problems he has with women and people and himself played out on the stage. Right, Everything's so- got to be. I'm right. Everything's got to be. I'm right. My favorite example of this, and it backs up the idea that he didn't do much prep, is – so 15 months ago, George Stephanopoulos asked him about his record on civil rights and whether or not he could you know, communicate with minorities or something along those lines. And Trump's response was this long – I have it written down somewhere um, – this long rambling thing about how his record on civil rights is demonstrated by the Mar-a-Lago Hotel. And it is the dumbest conceivable answer, right, on the merits. Um, first of all, the idea that, like, simply complying with federal and state non-discrimination laws makes you into Rosa Parks is kind of fascinating. <laughs> um, and the idea that somehow you would expect – in so again, he re- revisited it last night. That was his explanation on civil rights, was that he built the Mar-a-Lago in the richest community in the world – and he doesn't discriminate against blacks, Jews, and Muslims who are capable of fronting the two hundred grand or whatever it is to be members of the Mar-a-Lago Hotel. And he seems to, you know, he does the same thing with conservatives, where he sort of assumes the stereotypes of rich people as racists are true, right? Or that he assumes that his Republican supporters are racist, and he pings off of it to show how he's different from them. So he says Palm Beach, really rich, maybe the richest community in the world. And we don't discriminate against anybody as if all of us thought like the pillowcases at the Mar-a-Lago had eye holes in them for the Klan. I mean, it's just it's yeah, not, not just that. The other the other thing that he did in that same peroration was she said, you started your career in your family business, uh, you know, being sued by the Justice Department for refusing to rent to black people at Trump housing. And he said his answer was that case was settled with no admission of no guilt. admission of guilt, <laughs> which I think is yeah. like, my column is like what the villain says in the Law and Order yeah. episode yeah. Right, on the stand that makes that that suddenly there's a gasp of in, intake of air from the from the jury, and then you know that you know that the case is well, lost. You, you could almost see them stroking a kitten in his lap. Exactly. The case was settled with no admission of guilt, Mister Bond. So the you know? thing, <laughs> yeah. So the thing is that it's not that she was great. 
you know, her one-liners no. fell flat and all of that. But she she prosecuted. She let him hang himself, and in that sense, she was incredibly skillful. How much there was design in this, and they really yeah. thought that that you know they could corner him into this, and how much of it was luck. I don't know, but she handed herself four or five ads, you know, for the rest yeah. of the year. Well, she you know, she uh, uh, played a very safe game, and uh, she was prepared. Now, speaking about speaking of safe, John and Jonah, thousands of people get seeking home security get ripped off every day. Did you know that they get locked in those long term contracts, stuck writing huge checks with no way out? It's robbery. It can cost you thousands. Now there's a smarter way to protect your home, Simple Safe Home Security. Simple Safe was built by a Harvard-educated engineer after his best friends were victims of burglary. All of their personal possessions were stolen. His friends obviously wanted to get home security, but they were renters and they were not allowed to install that wired system. When I built my house, I have a wired system, but this sounded like a better idea. So a brand new system was created, wireless, portable, easy to install and with no long-term contracts. Here's why Simple Safe is a better choice. SimpleSafe offers superior protection with 24-7 professional monitoring and police dispatch. No annual contracts. Traditional alarm companies lock customers into three-year contracts with nasty auto renewal clauses and pages and pages of fine print that you, you know, you know there's a uh, never, never get out clause there somewhere. Monitoring for less than half the cost of traditional alarm companies, 24-7 Professional monitoring starts at just fourteen ninety nine per month. Simple Safe does not charge any activation, installation, or hidden fees. Built in cellular signal. You don't have to pay for a landline phone. Plus, a cellular connection is faster than a landline and safer. Unlike traditional wired alarm systems, burglars can't shut it down by cutting a cable. Remember they used to do that in those seventies cop shows? Mm-hmm. Yep. Just that little click, click, and then you well, pick up a, the phone. I, I, Phone's I dead. A, Wait. Yeah, go ahead. I have a question, Rob. Could yeah. Baron Trump? Hack into simple safe. <laughs> He's really. Well, good I mean, with, uh, I mean, really a, baron, a baron Trump might. I mean, I don't. You know, this is a, this is these are brilliant engineers who created simple safe, but I don't know if they can outsmart Baron Trump. They do have a user friendly wireless design, easy to do it yourself installation, and simple safe designed a home security system that is extremely user friendly. Can be installed by anyone in under thirty minutes without turning a screw. I thought I'd get a giggle from uh, from Jennifer. Pricing transparency. <laughs> all of the costs are explained up front on the website. The customer's in control from start to finish. Never hit with the hidden fees. You order directly from Simple Safe. They ship to the system to your doorstep. It's unbeatable protection. Great value. No contracts. Protect your home the smart way. Visit simplesafe.com slash ricochet. You go right now. You'll also get free shipping on your order and a free keychain remote worth 25 bucks. It only takes a minute to get started. Simplesafe.com slash ricochet. S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash ricochet. We thank Simple Safe for sponsoring the Glob podcast. Fantastic. Now, I, can I just go into a moment of despair about this after a this moment? Debate, which, well, it's, I think it's very simple, which is, and not safe, which is that, um, so last night Hillary Clinton began in a, a naked appeal to try to get Democrats on her side by saying, you know, she's going to go for pay leave. She's going to go for minimum wage. She's going to go for making, forcing companies to do profit sharing and blah, you know, and childcare and this and that and the other thing. And then Trump said, I, I like your child. I'm going to do childcare too. And I'm going to, you know, we're going to take guns away. We're, I don't care. You know, we'll take guns away from people on the watch list and we're going to do. And that what we saw here was a naked expression of just like the most 
conventional 21st century left liberalism on her part and anti-conservatism from him. And so not only what we had here was not only sort of like the ascend, the ultra, ultra, ultimate ascendancy of, of post Clintonian liberalism and Hillary Clinton embracing it, but Donald Trump embracing it, which is what a lot of us have been saying now for, you know, 18 months, you know, for however long, 16 months, that basically there were two liberals running here. Right. And how conservatives can watch what happened last night and say to themselves happily and comfortably that they can vote for him because he's a new face of conservatism when he all but not only didn't he, did he abandon conservatism, did he say anything about the Supreme Court? Did he say anything about, you know, did he say anything about any issue aside from saying he liked tax cuts? That was of any moment or, you know, through even like the slightest sop to, you know, the conservative consensus on the right for the last 35 years. I don't think so. Yeah. And so there's no, nothing right. left. There's nothing left. In other words, like the the, the, the Republican Party has <laughs> not only handed itself off to him, but – Conservatism in his hands is dead. Noah Rothman on, on the commentary website today says this is a gift to conservatism because if Trump doesn't embrace it and he loses uh-huh. in November, then it still has a future. If he wins, having 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 basically thrown it, uh, you know, to yeah. one side, then it doesn't. Uh, I wonder how. Ta- I wonder how well, I, one, I, I agree with that entirely. I mean, it, his instincts. Because he doesn't, I mean, he he just doesn't know anything about what he doesn't know. You know, I mean, it's just he he lives in this very cramped world of with very li, with remarkably limited vocabulary. Um, you know, anyone who has to say ever, 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 you know, that's how he emphasizes things. Yeah, like he's getting paid by the word. <laughs> and um. And so he, you know, he doesn't mention the Constitution. He doesn't mention conservatism. He doesn't mention any of these things. And it's not because he's not a conservative or whatever. He's just, he's, it's, I mean, he is not a conservative, but it's because he just doesn't know anything. And when you wing it, that's, that's the kind of stuff that you do. And so it's like, it's, I still go back to the convention where he did that off script congratulations of the audience. You know, how pleased he was that even Republicans cheered at the idea that he was going to protect gays from being slaughtered by terrorists. You know, and he was like, oh, I'm so, so, I'm see, so impressed see? with you. So proud of you for, for, uh, you know, embracing that, you know, and he's like, who, do, who does he think we are? And I don't, but on this point about conservatism after Trump, I don't know. I'm sort of fascinated by how Ted Cruz, who I've been a big defender of the last six months, um, has managed to misjudge virtually every single political moment of the last 18 months. I mean, it's really like a a monkey throwing darts would have a better record than, than Ted Cruz has had. And this guy is supposed to be the tribune of constitutional conservatism. And he's just completely kept misreading the zeitgeist. And I don't, I, I think, I think it's more craven than that. Seriously. The story I think of Ted Cruz is, that his key backer, his key backer in his uh, march to the presidency, was a, a billionaire Long Island family uh, 
The Mercers. Right, yeah. right, the Mercers. Robert uh, Mercer and his daughter Rebecca being the two most prominent. And they backed him and they backed him to the hilt and they were his you know, they were they were the base, the financial base from which he functioned and they built a company together, data analytics and all this. And he lost, and the Mercers not only moved on to Trump, but it is the Mercers, it is said, who engineered the big uh, campaign switch because Kellyanne Conway is very tight with the Mercers, and it was their idea, supposedly, to have her come in. I don't know where Bannon, where Bannon plays a role, but apparently the Mercers are involved in Breitbart as well. And my, my deep belief is that Cruz, who got everybody angry in Trump land and outside of Trump land too by – by doing that very public failure to endorse at the convention, had some kind of come-to-Jesus meeting with the Mercers who said, not only are we are not going to back you in 2018, we are going to back a primary opponent against you in Texas, and, and we, you know, we're done with you unless you come out and endorse Cruz. I don't know that that – endorse Trump. I don't know that that happened, but I mean I, his oh, I, cravenness here, I think – Makes this almost it, it, unimaginable. It, it, it could not, be that he just has to be. It could be he's just craven. I mean, he is the guy who like filibustered for no to, to no point and to no uh, to no end for well, he attention. Thought there, he thought there was a point, and and there was yeah. a point, and he. I mean, I, I'm just I'm just trying to imagine that scene. I mean, that really is a, 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 a scene out of a '70s political paranoid thriller where the the big bat. You know, you drive up on their biggest state, and he's. Dressed in, you know, let's come look at the horses, as you go, <laughs> Senator. And you go, you walk, and you look at the stables. These are magnificent. I own all of them, and they're all thoroughbreds. And they run when I tell them to run, and they stop when I tell them to stop. Do you get me, Senator? Uh, I think I do, sir. Yes, yes. No more of this anti-Trump nonsense. Get on the team. Get on. Don't, get it. Get in your stable. Go and ahead. Like, like, go, oh. go ahead. Go ahead. Make fun of me, but Ted Cruz. No, Ted no, Cruz right. is going to have a primary <laughs> challenge from Michael McCall in Texas. He's yeah. suddenly his approval ratings are underwater in Texas, and he made a in my in my scenario he makes a call to the Mercers and says, you know, I'm I'm hoping that I can count on your support in 2018. And they're like, your our support in 2018. Why don't, you, why don't we come and have a drink, Senator? Come but, and but so. Have tea with us. I, I kind of prefer a uh, Ned Beatty. You have defied the laws of nature, <laughs> Mr. Cruz. <laughs> um, now um, let's play cornhole. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, uh, you played cornhole yeah. and you lost, and now it is but time it's, but for I, I guess. I guess I, I always feel like whenever I'm in a place that is these, some storied moment or storied place, right? So whenever you're actually in the White House or you're in some place where you've heard about, uh, it, it never quite measures up to the pageantry. It always seems like, yeah, you know, can't they fix that carpet over there? Like, like it's could this this room needs paint. And there's always something about it that's deflating, and so it's hard for me to imagine, maybe just be temperamentally, that something is as as obviously scripted as what you're describing, or as um, I don't think it's clear in power and money, you know, but, but maybe, I, I don't maybe think they uh, said you do this. I think that there was a clear, there was a clear suggestion that's going on all over the right, you know, get on the bandwagon with this or we're yeah. going to take you down there. The anti-Trump people, 
you know, really anti-Trump people are sort of going through the, on November 9th, if he loses, it is time for the giant purge, where you will all be taken down. Ramesh Panuru, uh, Jonah's colleague, wrote a pretty decent little piece on this, you know, desire on all sides to purge everybody from everything, which is the great Republican sickness, this idea that, you know, a party that is already too small can really afford to, like, throw people keep throwing people out to achieve the purity that it wishes. You know, it's one thing to throw out, you know, naked uh, people who, you know, seek genocide, and it's another to throw out people who have honest... And deep disagreements with you. Well, <laughs> well those those, those pro genocide nudists are uh, you know they they get a lot of disposable cash. They're very big in they're very big in Oregon. You know, don't you don't you want to win Oregon? <laughs> First of all, a couple a couple points. One, um, I you guys shouldn't overthink it when you see that I convert to Catholicism just so I can be the godfather of a baby um, and take care of all take care of all of my enemies on the same day. Um, oh like yeah, Michael no, Corleone. No. Um, but on the do you renounce Satan? Yeah, um, just, and all of a sudden the doors at Breitbart fly open. Bad <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Boyle, Bad Boyle is on a is in a barber chair. Yeah, and he puts um, his glasses on. And... Steve Bannon, or Steve Bannon's getting a massage. I think it was a massage. Wasn't it? Mas- Steve Bannon. That's right. Yeah. He's getting a massage. Yeah, yeah. That's Bo Green. Yeah. That's right. Go through uh, a revolving. Anyway, go ahead. And then Ryan. Of course, Ryan's. Let's deal with Ryan's because Ryan's is like Sally. Can you help me out for old times' sake? Well, no, he can't, would be in the car. Can't, with can't me. do it, Ryan's. Can't yes. do it, Sally. He'd can't be do in the it, car, Ryan. right? He'd be in the car with me, and I'd have to make that walk. Um, yeah. As the guy in the behind. but anyway, so Trump conservatism, I always liked. It was those only business. I always liked it. Um, Conservatism knows that, Sally. You know that it's entirely possible that Breitbart will take this seriously and talk about how we plotted to kill them all and blah 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 blah. So um, we are just joking, anyway. Um, but on the cruise thing, it's also cinematic because um, th- making crews do this was so spiteful. Right. I mean, this is basically, you know, this was basically just saying, OK, we're going to bring out this enormous bowl of crap and we want you to eat it publicly because this doesn't help Trump. I mean, this doesn't do anything for Trump. Um, and the Mercer's basically, you know, there's this, this this is just the humiliation of Ted Cruz. And um, it doesn't help. I mean, it may help him fend off a uh primary thing um but it it is it it completely cements the narrative that this guy um actually his highest and only true principle is political ambition and um that's not going to help him come 2020 when he tries to nothing on the ground right it's not like donald trump turned uh you know said well you know maybe ted cruz's wife isn't ugly or maybe um, you know, Ted Cruz's yeah. dad wasn't in on the assassination. The only facts that changed on the ground were facts relating to his political ambition. And if he was going to do this all along, he should have done it at the convention. There's no, there's no principle that, you know, and like, I love Cruz going around saying, well, I did it because I got Trump to put Mike Lee on the Supreme court. Right. <laughs> right. No one. I mean, literally that is laugh out loud. Funny. It is so mm-hmm. patently ridiculous. Well, you know, this is the thing about this also, is the thing about the Trump effect on on the people who end up supporting him. Aside from the you know the genuine true believers, you have people who seem to be doing it 
for naked political reasons, you know, they're getting in, they're getting back in, they're, you know, it's their chance at the spotlight, or they're trying to save their political careers. And even that is not enough, because then you got to go the extra mile, then you gotta, you gotta be Newt and go on Hannity and say that Trump crushed her in the debate, or you got to be Rudy Giuliani and say, maybe Trump shouldn't do any more debates, because it's just so unfair. Um, You know, that, that kind of thing. So, it's as though it's the it's the it's the surrender where you have to keep on surrendering. And what's weird is what's the payoff? The payoff isn't that great. I mean, look, I mean, look, people in Hollywood. Wait, wait, look, if people in Hollywood are always doing this. This is what we do. Like, like you know, it's called the "You Didn't Let Me Finish," where you you walk into the room. And you go, let me tell you something. You're a lousy guy, and I hate you, and I'll never work with you again, and I'll never do what you do, and your creative notes are terrible, and I don't care what your project is. I want no part of it. And then the producer says, "Listen, well." Uh, it's too bad because I was about to offer you a $5 million uh, writing deal. You didn't let me finish. You have to be that kind of person because right. – and that I totally get, right? Like, he, like if that's so craven. Everybody what's the accepts upside? that politicians do things for political reasons. It's that when they are forced to sell their souls in front of the country to yeah. do it. But that's I would, what's where, the, that's but it's so amateurish though. It's so amateurish. What, what, if I'm the Mercers or whoever it is, and I'm giving all this, these millions of dollars and I call up Ted Cruz, gee, it would be really nice if you, if you could endorse him. And if I'm Ted Cruz, I say, you know, I would love to endorse him. I want to support the Republican party. I, I, I cannot go in front of people and tell them that the guy who called my wife ugly and that my father was killed Kennedy, unless he apologizes to me or says something, I, it, it would be, look and insane. Yeah, but what's the answer? The answer is the answer is we is under the, the answer should election, be Ted. this is it, Ted. But this is but, the but, last election, but America is, is finished it, now. It, it, if is, if you're know. yes, I hear that. But if you but if it, as a, as a matter of pure politics, your response to that should be use your head, think about it. How will that look? That's not an endorsement him, and he we have a private moment, and then I endorse him full, fully. Yes, we could do that. But I mean, I, I'm not saying he shouldn't have been craven. I'm saying that he, even the cravenness is so amateurish. It's so like you know, every, amateur- everybody around this guy feels like everyone seems to be you know. He, it's a lot like in in movies where you have like the uh, the the sort of prison gang boss who right. just is impervious to instruction and so everybody has to bend to his will and yeah um, right. and i think it's because no literally no one can persuade trump of anything and i hear stories off the record stories about what it's like inside the campaign you can't talk to him about right. anything that runs against the grain of his ego and so the response is to dumb down the defenses of the guy. I mean, when you listen to Mike Pence, you know, slowly and methodically taking out with tweezers pieces of his soul, um, <laughs> defending um, defending Donald Trump, this broad-shouldered man, you know, it's like it is, it, you know, it's like you expect him to say, and the wheat harvests west of the Urals are going to be fantastic this year right. because of his. Right. Broad that is the nature. Okay, he was born at dawn on Mount Taipongdong or whatever it is. <laughs> but th- this is all. All that needs to be said is that you know Trump calls what he has a movement. A lot of people are calling it a revolution and in cultural revolutions. If you avoid that, you are forced to kowtow. So and you and also you sometimes need 
because it's so exhausting. You need some sleep. You need some sleep, right? You need so, some sleep, yeah. And the How problem, you, and the where problem, can you get a good night's rest, uh, John? Well, the, the, the problem, Rob, is that the mattress industry on which uh, you, you know crooks. has forced consumers. I call it. I call them the. Cro- I call could crooked big mattress is what I call it. <laughs> well, you know, you know why they're crooked because they force you into paying notoriously high yes. markups. But Casper, yes. Casper mattresses. <laughs> They're revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. Time magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. It is an award-winning mattress that won't disappoint. I own two of them. My kids sleep on them. I know this. Casper, an obsessively engineered mattress, shockingly fair price. Mattresses can often cost well over 1500 bucks. Casper mattresses cost 500 for a twin size, 600 for a twin XL, 750 for a full, 850 for a queen, 950 for a king. In-house team of engineers, thousands of hours developing it, combining springy latex, supportive memory foams, and award-winning sleep servers with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, it's breathable design, Rob. It's breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature throughout the night buying a casper mattress completely risk-free you get free delivery and free returns with a 100 night home trial if you don't love it they'll pick it up and refund you everything casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it how much time you spend in a showroom 10 minutes you have 100 days with a casper and it's made in america so get $50 off, special offer, offer for listeners of Glops, $50 off toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash glop and using the code word glop or the whatever you call it. Not the code word. That's like a spy word. The, you know, the Great. code. Okay. We thank Casper code word. for sponsoring the Glop podcast. Now, guys, Ross Douthat last week wrote what I think may be the, one of the most brilliant columns of the year about the about the world of um, the liberal bubble, which he called Clinton's Samantha B problem. And what he was pointing out is that the, um, the ideological makeup of, of, of pop culture is now not only is so uniformly left-wing liberal, it always was, but there's now this mm-hmm. kind of hermetic seal to it in which uh, you are now supposed to go to your late-night host – to get your ideological right. instruction, whereas so if Jimmy Fallon has Donald Trump on and does what Jimmy Fallon does, which is he musses his hair and makes jokes, the entire world comes down on Jimmy Fallon like a ton of bricks for not you know for not attacking Trump on the birther issue, um, right? And and this idea that somehow what you're supposed to get from your entertainment is not only instruction. But shaming should you hold an opinion or, or, or act in a way that does not further the liberal cause. And he locates this in Samantha B, the TBS talk show host, formerly of The Daily Show, whose show basically is her standing in front of a screen shouting at you for half an hour about how awful anything is that isn't left-wing and liberal. Now – I had this revelation reading this column and thinking about this that what Samantha Bee and John Oliver and Bill Maher and what John Stewart and Stephen Colbert, who were much more agile and nimble and adept than these guys are now, but what they all function have come to function as for liberals is a substitute for what evangelical Christians got 
from televangelists in the 1980s. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I agree it's with that. pure virtue signaling. They come on. They tell you what you want to hear. They call the people who disagree with you basically Satan and evil, and they tell you that what you are doing is the Lord's work. They tell they you that they you are loved. They don't, cu- they don't cure hemorrhoids. They don't, they, a lot of value they don't, they don't deliver. But no. In the old days, the guys delivered. There's right. no water park. There's no Trevor Noah water park. But uh, there, there could be, and you know, <laughs> Actually, and, 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 they sell, and they sell. They sell. They might have hemorrhoid ads on the show, uh, paying for uh, the show. Not, not so, with that demo. Not with that but, demo. Right. But in any case, the, the point I'm making is that is that the uh, is that everything is now political to left lip. Everything. So every, anything that yeah. does not. That does not advance their agenda is by definition and yet, in opposition to their agenda, and, and that yet, this makes it impossible for them to have any feel for any world outside their own hermetic bubble. So that's hmm. my narration. I don't. Uh, I kind of agree with half of that, and yet the good news, of course, is that Jimmy Kimmel's killing in the ratings, uh, and Jimmy. No, yeah, no, sorry, Jimmy Fallon's killing oh. in the ratings. Jimmy Kimmel's a close second. Uh, and ne- neither of them does uh, political material of any kind. Stephen Colbert is about – is failing. And it's, I mean weirdly, he's such a nice person, but he's just – the show just stinks. And he's about to uh, probably – I mean I bet you he will be gone in 12 months. But – in but, And replaced with – wait, wait, wait. wait, 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 wait. Oh, sorry, sorry, and replaced with James And replaced with James Corden who is doing the late show here in L.A. and is killing it in the ratings because he's just doing carpool karaoke and fun stuff that is fun. Uh, because people at eleven thirty just kind of want fun. There's yeah, there there are there's a huge demographic that wants to watch the Daily Show and get told what to think. They rejected heartily um, the Larry Wilmore show, the nightly show. Uh, Samantha B's numbers are better than they expected, but still not that great. Although probably good for their brand, but so I mean yeah, this is true. But I think that this is this is this is less true now than it was before. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I think the virtual signaling thing is right. Where I and I agree, where I have a little problem with the analogy to the televangelists because what those guys um, were getting out of that is a little different than what we see. I mean, there has been this explosion that we see in in John Oliver and all, and John Stewart and all that, but it's we see it in journalism too. It's in Vox is a perfect example of it. Where people who actually don't know very much quickly run to Wikipedia and they do a quick quick read, cherry picking out the stuff that confirms that their gut instinct is the smart, insightful thing, um, and then they run with it, thinking that anybody who doesn't know these things is stupid and that we're the really, really smart ones. Um, and it, we, you find it in journalism all the time these days. I mean, my favorite example of of, of one of these Vox things came up recently where this guy wrote this piece about how to reconcile the desire to sort of de, uh, you know, to, to, to move away from prison crowding and over, over crowd and over incarceration um, and how to reconcile it with the problem of the rape epidemic in America. And obviously enormous number of stolen bases here, whatever, but it all leads to this guy who's supposed to be one of the smartest guys writing on the toughest issues. That's sort of Vox's MO. And he ends with this suggestion. He says, maybe what would work, and this this is a radical idea, out of left field, outside the box, maybe major police departments or major prosecutor's offices 
should come up with to create sex crimes units and um and sex crimes prosecutors the guy didn't know that these actually exist even though there's been like law and order svu for 20 years on tv and you just get the same thing with sort of john oliver and those guys is they take their conclusions and they backfill their answers and it's 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 a kind of sophisticated know-nothingism that's running around all over the place. And Barack Obama has been the dashboard saint of that stuff for a very long time where he just has these glib liberal opinions that are based up. I mean, he was a guy who read blogs to get his information and um, it's a problem in the culture. And I think it stems as much from sort of internet culture as it does from anything else. But it's not just it's, the reason that I, I think it, the you, you dismiss the televangelism thing out of hand is that, this is the reinforcement of a near-religious orthodoxy, and it has its contours. And they are there not only to, you know, uh, attack, but to tell the people who are going to watch them. And again, this doesn't. In this case, it doesn't matter whether they have one million people or four million people watching it, because you know this is about a core, not about you know not about the you know entirety of the country. Is to say. If you step one inch outside of the, the narrow consensus that I'm laying out for you, I am going to come down on you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. If you want to think that it's possible that maybe, maybe so-and-so has a point when they say that political correctness is going a little too far, then uh, I am going to tell you – that you are a sexist, racist pig. If you're going to use free speech as some kind of excuse for the beha- for the appalling behavior of conservatives, then I am going to come down on uh-huh. you like a ton of bricks. Samantha B is not a you know supposedly has a funny show. The show is like getting yelled at. You know, by your aunt at Thanksgiving. Everyone talks about the crazy uncle at Thanksgiving. This is like getting yelled at by your liberal aunt, the public school teacher at Thanksgiving. And, you know, it's just the same thing. And it has this quality of you go this far, you go one step further, you are you are out, you are unorthodox, you are unacceptable. And and it has this effect of shutting them down. And thus, when suddenly things after years, things start looking as they did in the last couple of weeks like maybe they weren't going their way maybe yeah, the out. polls were tightening the freak out was hilarious yeah it, was I mean, the it most actually delightful moment of the, the only it actually almost ju- of- yeah it almost makes it all worth it right just to watch the meltdown the crazy meltdown that this is that there are people who don't agree with me and they are well that that has always been the problem in the media business the tv business in general is that uh, as the numbers got smaller and as the audience got sliced and sliced into smaller and smaller uh, um uh tranches um egos did not you know keep pace with that so you have people who get have a show with a two share uh, or one or two or three in the demo, which I mean, four in the demo is like a giant hit on on broadcast television. Four a, a four share of the demo means four percent. Um, it's about four million people, but it's about four percent of all uh, TV sets in use, or or what are the of the audience potential audience uh, were in the demo, which is probably eighteen to thirty four or twenty five to fifty, what it is now. I mean, that's not that many. That's t- that's a tiny number. 
Right. But people kind of we kind of strut around like, well, I've got to, you know, everybody's watching my show. Uh, it reminds me of a great Onion piece from years ago, which is like the, you know, um, it was like um, uh, story editor on TV's Just Shoot Me back home for a vacation doesn't understand why people are not up to date on latest events on Just Shoot Me. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like – the article's just about this guy like, uh, what, what are you talking about? Like on JSM yesterday and then like it's supposed to say, yeah, he's real proud of being on that show. I don't, I don't really know what that show is or didn't tell that show was still on. It's how most Americans are. But if you're, if you're these guys, you tend to just really focus entirely on uh, – on, on how, how important and proud you feel, which is one of the reasons why I think they have such contempt for for uh, for, for Jimmy Fallon because right. he's killing it. You know, he's just killing it and he's doing silly stuff. But yeah, but they love thirty. Did you want? I mean, right. the thing is, it's 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 amazing though how much that exact phenomenon, far less justifiable, dominates in the green rooms of cable news networks in I'll Washington. Bet. I'll bet. You know, you get yeah. these kids who think. That because they were on a daytime talk show for four minutes, yeah. yelling at somebody else, saying things that you would ex- that you could have scripted, you know, a year in advance. Yeah, that that makes them like big deals around town, you know, and that 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 somehow- I'm an analyst. I'm an a- I'm a I'm a strategist. <laughs> and you well, know, and I don't you know, know what they learn- need. You know what they all need, though. They all need a little learning, isn't that what you're saying? They need a I little. Think, yeah. So maybe what they should do is try. What could they do? How could they learn? But if they're out of school, uh, uh, John, how would they well, learn? I mean, are they lifelong learners? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying they should be, as we uh-huh. are, and that's yeah. why we've been telling you about the Great Courses Plus for a while. Oh, Many oh, a great of idea! You have already signed up for this great video learning service, and now have unlimited access to over seven thousand fascinating video lectures. Taught by award-winning professors. I have to cough now, so if I were Hillary, I would be ending my campaign. <clears throat> that would be the end, <clears throat> and Trump would win. But I'll sniffle to, so. to bounce it out. Please, please sniffle, sniffle. There was no sniffles, as uh, Trump said this morning, even though 100 million people heard him sniffling the entire night. But I, I, I have, well, we'll get back to that. But if you problem. haven't signed up for the Great Courses Plus yet, now's the perfect time since we have a special offer to tell you about shortly. Look, the Great Courses Plus tells you everything – Let's you learn about everything that interests you, history, business, or even how to cook, play chess, or speak Spanish. You can watch these engaging online video lectures anytime, anywhere, using your TV, laptop, tablet, or smartphone. One of the courses we've been watching is The Skeptic's Guide to American History, taught by Professor Mark A. Stoller. Examines commonly held myths and half-truths about American history, invites you to think about what really happened in the nation's past as opposed to what many believe happened. The course features 24 lectures, each about 30 minutes in length, and includes lectures on religious toleration in colonial America, confusions about Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton. Did slavery really cause the Civil War? Roaring Twenties reconsidered. Was the Cold War inevitable and what really matters in American history? Now here is a special offer for GLOP listeners. We know you'll love the Great Courses Plus like we do. Sign up today and as one of our podcast listeners you'll immediately get one month free to start watching as many lectures as you want. Make sure you check out the course we watch, The Skeptic's Guide to American History. To start your free trial early, sign up now at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash GLOP. That's the greatcoursesplush.com slash glop. We thank the great courses for sponsoring the glop podcast. Jonah, you were making yes. a point. Can you finish? So, because clearly Rob's rhino squish liberalism <laughs> has, has rubbed off on me, um, I, appeared oh. on the, I appeared on the Diane Ream show today. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Diane right Reem. Easy, I, easy. I was on Diane Reem in 1987 quite frequently. And she well, wait, 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 but, but she is John, now. this is Jonah's story. Sorry. <laughs> just doing my excellent Diane Reem imitation. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, uh, the subject of the sniffling came up. And it much vexed uh, Diane Reem, and they got several callers on it. And I'm with you. I think he was sniffling, or I thought he was sniffling. But several callers called in and said, no, this is actually – it's a it's a tick of his. And if you go back and you listen to his speeches, it's – you know, one psychiatrist thought it was him signal – it was a tell that he doesn't believe what he's saying. I don't buy that. But if you, he says – these guys said, you know – it's bothered me for a year, ever since I first noticed it. It's his way of punctuating his speaking style. And um, and I hmm. think it might be – I think that might actually be right the more I think about it. Um, and so his complaint that it was a bad – they gave him a bad mic I think is kind of hilarious. But uh, – They gave him a good one. That was – it was too yeah, good. That, that was the right. problem, yeah. Um, but uh, he should um, – you know, the, and regardless, just because that's his verbal tick doesn't mean he wasn't sniffling. It just means he sniffles when he talks and he doesn't have a cold. Anyway, well, I, um, never, I, 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 I never it, heard it, it, but I never heard it. But Chris Cuomo, you know, who hosts New Day on CNN, said that he's heard it numerous times. But, you know, I don't know. How many yeah. debates did we watch? 10, 15? I've watched thousands of his speeches. I've never heard it, do, heard it happen. No, I agree. But although those audiences were always much louder and there was always a lot of crosstalk. Yeah. I think yeah. what we need is a Zapruder-like zeal in, in examining yeah. this issue. I, I, but, you know, it's funny because uh, uh, we said uh, people if you meet in Silicon Valley. Now, this is, of course, going to take a really weird turn here, and I'm not making this argument. But um, they call it a nerd twitch, and a lot of nerds, geeks, like people who are billionaires mostly um, – who have done amazing things or are, are, are CEOs of those sort of tech companies, they have a weird nerd twitch. Sometimes it's, I know a guy who's like, who does that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Or sometimes it's to say right over and over again. I should talk right. Right. As if they're absorbing the information in, into the system. Right. Right. They And uh, that might just be his nerd twitch, but I don't think he's a nerd. But people, people who – People for whom the outside world is a complicated place sometimes have a little thing like that they use that either gets them through trouble or makes them feel comfortable or is one of their, um, you know, one of their, uh, their their security blanket in a conversation. Uh, maybe, okay, maybe uh, maybe Baron has it because you know he's so good with computers and that's a pretty nerdy thing. <laughs> yeah, it's probably true. Oh, boy. Well. Um, so, guys, uh, Rolling Stone has put out a list of the top 100 television shows of all time, and like all such lists, uh, it's bad. If you really look at it, it's bad because it says bad things. Although it does say that The Sopranos is the best show of all time, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is uh, certainly defensible, and it does That's say ridiculous things like you know The West Wing was the best show of all time, or or Small uh, Wonder was the best show of all time. Right, right. I mean, it does say that Mad Men, which I think was, which I, I will go to my grave saying was a dud, uh, was the fourth best show of all time. Where that's yes, wrong. Seinfeld. Um, and it does have Cheers too hot, too low at 20, when it certainly should have been in the huh. top 15, if not the top 10. I agree but, with that. 
but you guys, so just can we off the top of our heads pick three of the three the three shows we could defensively say were the best shows of all time? That's my, uh, my challenge. I'm I would I would have a really hard time to uh, hard, uh, because there's there are there's so many different flavors of it and then and part of the criteria have to be what they pioneered right so the honeymooners has got to be there but if the honeymooners is there then you're kind of like well you know but but no nah, I love Lucy was multicam and that was pretty good and uh, I mean I I still think that I, I still think the Andy Griffith show is one of the most underrated shows ever it's incredibly thoughtful and and many and sweet and in many ways incredibly sad um but a great show nonetheless like this great slice of life that i i i I think people just don't give enough credit to so i don't know does a show have to be pioneering i mean does that have to be one of the criteria i i i well you know no but that's that's certainly like that that, that could be part of it i mean why not anyone can make up any criteria you know you could even you know because this is all entirely subjective and i'm critically i suppose what you could say is you need to be able to stage a defense of your argument aside from i really liked it you know right uh, i guess but um i guess uh, sticking only with drama for the moment i think uh without ranking them uh, I would put uh, Sopranos, The Wire, and Breaking Bad would be my three top. You know what? Mm. Those are the three top in this list. Are they really? Congratulations, Literally. Jonah. Congratulations, Jonah. your uh, Damn, I got conventional wisdom. Jonah picked, Damn it. Jonah picked the top. The top. Of course, now now that Rolling Stone is half owned, almost half, entirely half owned by the Chinese. Well, <laughs> I mean, and, and, we should. Uh, Crouching Tiger. Like, we'll have to put in like lots of Chinese shows. No, actually, you know, Rob, I've been meaning to tell you. Because I think it's soon to be owned by a University of Virginia uh, fraternity. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, right, right. That would actually be a fantastic sitcom where a fraternity is falsely accused of something oh, yeah. terrible, That's a good idea. and then they they win ownership of a major rock magazine, and they don't know what they're doing <laughs> when they take yeah. it over. <laughs> or it, it'd be, or it's like, or it's a, a left wing investigation, like like Mother Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would be like better. That. Right, that would be better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, I honestly, this is an almost impossible question for me. I would certainly go with The Sopranos number one. I would probably go with Seinfeld number two, and mm-hmm. then um, I would have uh, real trouble because I don't know. <laughs> what about? Because Rob is listening. Uh, what about, what, <laughs> yeah. What about like? Um, what about? Uh, you know, there are things like the 1972 BBC version of War and Peace, which is the best literary adaptation of anything ever made, practically. Oh, or you know what? The Palace. Co- if you're going to if, if you're going to say the 1972 BBC hey, production you know, of War and like, Peace, this conversation is over. You know, yeah, if that's I, what you're going to say, I'm going to smash your guitar on the. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> no, but I don't know. It's like very hard because because uh, yeah. I you know. Yeah. Right, uh, Petticoat Junction, John. Just, I mean, it was Petticoat, Petticoat Junction, Junction, okay? No, Green like, Acres. You know, there are shows that I Green Acres. Oh, Green Acres is an amazing show. Yeah, you know, there are of course shows the shows that are like the most important to me or that I have the fondest feelings of. But that's like, what's great the about TV. God Couple, which is not sixty seven. Right. Probably the show. But that's what's great. That's what's great makes. about that's what's great about television is that ultimately, really, 
it should be evaluated on terms of like where you were, who you were when you watched it, how it felt to you. Wait, it's an wait, emotional I forgot, thing. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot the show that I really think is the best show in the history of television, and that is Hannity. I think Hannity <laughs> is a show where you really people right. commit and they're committed, and, and you, you know, vote, you know, root for it. Change, you know, change America. Ask the tough questions. Well, uh, uh, like, uh, like, uh, like, what, what, what is number? Here's my question: What is what is number? Just just what is number one hundred on that list? Uh, number one hundred is. I'm sorry. Is hello. Uh, Eastbound and down. Oz see, is nine, nine. see, Golden, wait, 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 wait. When you get down, I, I get. It. When you get down to. When you're at one hundred, to me, it's more interesting what you would include in that in that number. Eastbound and Down is not one of the hundred best shows ever. No, and that that to me is less so. What's interesting is what you put number one, or number ten, or number fifteen, or number three. Like well, these things are all people can argue. Once you start, if you're at a hundred and and you're and it's Eastbound and Down, it means it really should have been a ninety nine point list, yeah, or right. a ninety eight point list because that's when you start to like. It's just the new shiny stuff. You're like, oh, I had to look that episode one time. Yeah, but um, you, know, you know, some of the yeah. funniest, some of the weirdest. And these are also dumbless anyway. I mean, are when you when you think of shows that ran forever that like literally died, and no one thinks about them anymore ever. Like one <laughs> one day at a time. Like they, click on my IMDb. Yeah, right. They made like 220 yeah. episodes yeah. of one day yeah. at a time. I remember one of them. I remember so vividly. <laughs> <laughs> was yeah. bot, but you know, uh, and because I can remember, I, and, and since having joined the business, I could tell what had happened. Bonnie Franklin, it was Bonnie Franklin, and she was the single mom in Indianapolis raising two daughters, and they had a nosy super. It was really that that show, and um, the second act of it was, or maybe this first, was this weird one woman show monologue uh where bonnie franklin was having a crisis and she was in her bedroom and it was all big say a monologue um you could do that on tv and you could tell it was the result of bonnie franklin going to the writers and saying you know i, I really need to shine in one of these because i'm getting overlooked at the emmys <laughs> and they said all right give bonnie a thing where she talks the whole time well do you uh, remember the you remember, well, you remember ultimate... wait 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 wait, wait. Yeah, well, sorry, let me finish. Ahead, do you sorry, remember sorry. Do you, and here's what it was about it was about a crisis the character was suffering she was suffering this crisis because it was her it, it was her birthday, and she had just turned thirty six, and she was freaking out because she felt old. Now this is a woman, a character who we they had to like back time and say, well, I guess she had her eighteen year old daughter when she was eighteen. Right. But Bonnie Franklin at the time was not thirty six. She was forty two. She was at, yeah at the very in the most yeah. generous interpretation. Yeah. And I, I guarantee you. It was a four-hour discussion in that writer's room of, like, what should the number be? Because <laughs> Bonnie says 32, and that would make her uh, a victim of child rape. So, um, yeah. But it can't be 40, which is more obvious. And by the way, people freak out when they turn 40. So instead, they compromise at 36, which is an, a, an age where you turn that really is nothing. But anyway. But do you, yeah. you, remember, like, you remember, remember, in, yeah. uh, remember in Bonanza? Where like Haas looked like he was about five years younger than uh, his dad. Right. Um, but, you know, you know there is that great um, the the ultimate uh, Emmy bait show was this uh, Family Ties, which was the Michael get get Michael J. Fox his Emmy show when he, when he was where, on drugs. 
No, he um, he went to see a shrink, and the sh- and 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 the show was set oh. on a was it was on a was on a an abstract. He oh yeah, remember that? Yeah, he would walk from the shrink's couch over to the scene where his parents were making dinner, and he would have a crisis. And then there was the scene with his girlfriend where he'd have a crisis, and he kept saying, "I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. My name is Alex Keaton." And then the audience applauds wildly, and he won his Emmy. Hey, and- my name is Alex. Is what it's called. That was I, the I, actual title I, of the show. That episode. Hey, my name is Alex. And I bet you. That if you watched it now, you would dissolve into hysterical. Oh, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. But listen, guys, I think we uh, we've we've all said our welcome here, and everybody has something else to do. But I wanted so. to tell my story about uh, Wait, the three yeah. the three the three's company where there was a misunderstanding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think they did that one. Uh, Rob, what can you do? You have a minute to tell the Lucille Ball story that you? Were oh yeah, it's not about? a real story. It's a, it's a fake story. It's a story we should like joke about. Uh, and this is like, yeah, I could do it really quickly. We used to make a, a room runs in a writer's room or like when you sit around and you come up with some weird situation and you all make jokes about it. And usually it's uh, something super eight, eight-year-old boyish. And so we came up with what would happen if an old I Love Lucy writer uh, – you know, I Love Lucy was always like, don't do this, Lucy. And there's always like a big uh, – you know, she always big, m- messing things up. Old I Love Lucy writer has two things to do. You know, the guy's 80, right? He's got two things to do that day. He's got to send his new spec script, pilot script, to his agent. And he's got to send in his stool sample to the lab. (laughs) (laughs) And he switches them up. And he switches them up. And so he calls his doctor the next day. No, he calls his, his, uh, his agent the next day and says, what did you think of what I sent you yesterday? And his agent says, I, I, I think it stank. I think it was terrible. <laughs> uh, made my secretary, my secretary, she, she got sick. Oh, come on. That took me two years to produce. So that's the problem. And I can't, you know, it goes on and on. And then, you, then, you, then after, like, you hang up the phone with your agent, you call your doctor, like, what, 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 you got any thoughts on what I sent you yesterday? And his doctor says, it reminded me a lot of your earlier work. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's there you go. Story. That's the that's a room run that never happened, but it's still funny to think about. Uh, yeah, I could tell you a story about you know uh, editing you know a manuscript, but uh, you know I, I won't because it's not that funny. Editing you know <laughs> manuscript by Charles Murray. There you go. And uh, he sent me a stool sample. <laughs> but no, <laughs> we played corn. We played cornhole yeah. in the office. Yeah. Uh, Are you going anywhere in the next two weeks uh, where you will play cornhole and give a speech that you want to tell anybody about? Well, as the uh, Hussein Bolt of cornholing. um, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, No, I mean, I'm going to. Barack Barack Hussein Bolt? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to be on a special report on Thursday and on Brit Hume's. Now that he's now that he's taken over uh, on the record, thank goodness, I will be on Bert Hume's show on Friday. And uh, other than that, nothing going on in the next two weeks that that you guys need to know about. Uh, Rob, I, I have I have nothing. I have nothing. I am just sitting here in L.A. trying to sell a TV show, which uh, and then I'm gonna be back in New York. I don't know. I got nothing. You got nothing. Well, what I, am I doing? I, be on the cruise. Have... So be on the NR cruise. Yeah, we'll all be on the NR cruise. Uh, November was at thirteenth, sailing out of Fort Lauderdale. I think there are still yeah. staterooms. NRcruise.com. Yeah. Um, I 
Sunday, October 2nd, I taped an hour a couple weeks ago with Brian Lamb on C-SPAN talking about movies and popular culture and the connections therein and there too. So it's just me and Brian for an hour. And if you can tolerate it, it's on uh, both at 8 and 11 p.m. Uh, Eastern time on C-SPAN. So oh, 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 I got to plug. I'm doing that Turner Classic Movies things on October oh, yeah. 5th. Oh, look, uh, okay, talking about- fine. Trump, go ahead, go ahead, please, uh, go ahead, go ahead, humiliate me, because I'm, like, on C-SPAN, <laughs> and you're on, like, Turner Classic Movies, and wh- which of us is the movie critic, Jonah? Which of us has been 35 well, years Well, maybe... You get on Turner Classic Movies, and I... Get maybe people so. think that, well, okay, Jonah, what would you like to say about that? Um, I have... <laughs> I will let the facts speak for themselves, and I will leave it there. <laughs> I have when the it... best temperament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I show to promote, and it's a winning show. Oh, yeah. Winning. Tops. I just me and Brian Lamb, okay? Winning temperament. So, Jonah, what think, is that? I, October 5th. I think you October should do like five five more minutes of that, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. October then you got 5th. it. You said it's October um, 5th. Well, you know what? I, that, that's great because October 4th is the Pence v. Kane debate, and I think everybody is going to need to pick me up on October 5th after that one. <laughs> oh, boy. That is going to be a killer. So, uh, right. what are you talking about exactly? Uh, and, uh, on on – yeah, so the conceit was supposed to be a liberal and a conservative talking about politics and movies. I gave him a list of like 15 movies that I wanted to talk about, and they only had two of them in the library, in their archives, you know, because they have a very set library of movies. And uh, so I did two of my favorite movies, um, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and uh, A Face in the Crowd. Okay, well, uh, I, I'm, I'm told that uh, my my early onset uh, senility has revealed itself because we talked about this already on the last show. So our producer, yes, I thought so too. Yes, but you know what we didn't talk about on the last show is the fact that I will be on C-SPAN on October second. No, we did not. Eight and eleven. Okay, yeah. eight p. And you have to watch it twice to get the full taste of my genius. <laughs> I have the best. You have the best temperament. You have the best words. I have the best words. Jonah has the best bookings. And Rob has the best TV show. Well, not according to Rolling Stone, but okay. So there we are. Uh, certainly your your show is higher than than my show. So yeah. <laughs> I don't have a show. So yeah. um, thanks very much, and we will be back to you in two weeks. Two weeks, fellas. Two weeks. Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> Oh
Ricochet. Join the conversation.